Okay, so hello and welcome to My Dalarama's Top Picks. I'm Coco Green, armchair critic and aspiring academic with my co-host Abla Candeloft, film programmer, journalist, and researcher. And we're also joined by special guest Georgina Allen, film editor at Radical Art Review. So in Top Picks, we discuss marginalization, resistance, and some of the isms in drama, documentary, mystery, and independent films and series. You can follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at, oh, why did I say Twitter and LinkedIn? Where did I get that from? <laughs> on LinkedIn, are we? We might be. <laughs> We're looking for work. <laughs> I'm keeping you can listening. follow us on Twitter. Wait, are we even on? Am I thinking of? What we am are I on saying? Twitter. Maybe it's Instagram, but no, you're under your own name, so we're not on Instagram. Okay, you can follow us. You can follow us on Twitter at MyDialerama. And if you like what you do, Please like us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and support us with either a one-time or monthly donation at mydie.link forward slash donate. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at mydie.link forward slash subscribe. Lovely. So first of all, we'll start by mentioning a couple of um, picks of the week and festivals. So Georgina, as our guest, would you like to go first? Yeah, for sure. So um, recently I watched the Channel 4 series, which I saw advertised kind of not that much actually, but um, called Adult Material. Um, and it stars Hayley Squires, who is was amazing in I, Daniel Blake. And she is um, Jolene Dollar, which is like a British porn star. Um, and it's just this really interesting drama, kind of dark comedy about kind of the British porn industry, as well as um, sex work and trauma and abuse, as well as kind of about sex and consent. And I just found it, I think I... I watched it all in one go and I was I thought it was just really fun and and interesting and kind of really unique in the way it talked about sex work as well as porn um it really reminded me of um oh the what's it called the British the British show that's been doing the rounds which was amazing um uh, I may just how I may destroy you. May, may I destroy you? Sorry. Oh, how, yes, I may destroy you. I may destroy you. Yeah, it really reminded me of that, which I, I may destroy you was amazing. Um, and yeah, I just I really enjoyed the way it was really complex and nuanced. And it didn't really, you know, on mainstream TV on something like Channel 4 or BBC, you kind of get used to things being very black and white. But this was really uh, nuanced in its kind of portrayal of of kind of a woman who wasn't you know she is kind of not a victim she can she's quite difficult to deal with but she's also like incredibly likable um and just all the conversations that it brought up was really interesting and as I was watching it as well I was thinking how how I think I got I've gotten so used to kind of tv really pushing the boundaries and becoming very graphic and I was just kind of used to that. And it actually was quite a shock that there wasn't any, there wasn't really anything graphic at all, even though it talks about and kind of highlights really graphic stuff. <laughs> um, it just doesn't show any anything of it in a really, in a really nice way, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. It doesn't, it's not exploitative at all, um, yet it discusses kind of really dark subject matter. Um, and yeah, Rupert Everett turns up in it. He's very. Oh, we've not seen odd. him in a while. Yeah, he was. He plays a really odd character for him, um, like a kind of sleazy, 
uh, old school kingpin of British porn. Um, yeah, but Hayley Squires is just amazing in it. And yeah, I really, I really love that and would recommend it because I don't think it got that much. Um, I, I didn't see it covered very much, which no. is which is odd. I didn't really hear much about it. And I was like, oh, I'll watch that and then just really drank it up. I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because now it reminds me that I did see the trailer for it, um, I think, a couple of weeks ago. And I did think, oh, I'd want to watch that. And I forgot about it. Yeah, I really recommend it. It's good. Nice one. Um, so, Corey, do you have any picks? No, Busy week. I don't. Uh, yeah, no. Fair enough. Um, I'll move on to mine. Um, I just want to quickly mention one film, which is called Synchronic. It's uh, by directed and produced by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who uh, directed a film called The Endless, which is about cults. So I think we should watch it and talk about it. Now, the funny thing is I watched this film and then I saw the director's name and it rung a bell. And then I remember that I met them. And they're really nice. I met them at the BFI London Film Festival, I think, uh, in 2019. And we got chatting and I think it was Aaron Moorhead kept commenting on my leather jacket, which he seemed to really like. Anyway, so Synchronic, I highly recommend. And I am very curious now to watch their filmography because it's so original. They have such a very cool style. So briefly, the film is set in New Orleans and it stars... Jamie Dornan and Anthony Mackie. Uh, they're two paramedics and they're best friends and they find themselves called a number of times to the scenes of really gruesome incidents where uh, someone's dead but that clearly they've got a, they've been butchered in some way. And each time at the scene of the incident they find a rapper a new psychedelic drug called Synchronic. So they attribute the carnage to the drug's effects. And at one of these calls, they find that uh, Dennis's daughter had partaken in the drug taking and the party and had gone missing. So Steve, who's uh, Dennis's best friend and co-paramedic, then sets out to find out what happened to the daughter. That, so that's a bit of a side plot, but it explains his actions. He's also suffering from an inoperable brain tumour. He decides to investigate by taking the drug himself, knowing that whatever happens, he's a, he's going to die anyway. So he might as well um, experiment and test it and see what, what the fuss is about and why it's leading to these crimes. It's absolutely bonkers. So spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what happens, skip two or three minutes ahead. But um, you find out that what Synchronic does is it allows you to travel through time. So wherever you're standing in a room or a park or anywhere, you will travel through um, a specific number of years or centuries. So, for example, Steve films himself taking the drug, ingesting the drug, and he's standing in the middle of his bedroom. And all of a, all of a sudden he's transported back to the Ice Age. And then when he sits on the sofa, he takes he takes it again and he's transported back to the time of um, the conquistadors. And he's basically exactly where he is, but centuries back. Um, and then he goes to the place where Dennis's daughter uh, went missing and then takes the drug there. And then he's, he's um, propelled back to the middle of a battlefield during the American Civil War. And the recreation of these settings is just really well well done. There's something very eerie about it, very dreamlike. Um, the music also is very transportative. 
I just really loved how trippy it was. It, um, I really recommend it. It's available to stream on various platforms, which I'll put in the blurb. And that's for the film. And very quickly, I just want to flag the fact that um, major, major short film festival, Clermont-Ferrand International Festival of uh, Shorts is back on in February. So that's the first week of February. And it's our official partner, My Dialorama. We'll be uh, putting out our favourite films, our coup de coeur, and of course, interviews with all the filmmakers. So we'll have written interviews and video interviews. There are a few really, really good shorts that I recommend. I'm going to put them in the blurb. So second bit of festival related news is Emerging Filmmakers Night's uh, winter edition. In coordination with that, EFN will be hosting three industry workshops. So one of which will be on fund, uh, funding applications, how to fill out funding applications. One of them will be on screenwriting. And the third one, which I'll be co-hosting, will be on the festival circuit, how to navigate the festival circuit. So they'll all be online. And if you subscribe, subscribe to my Dialorama newsletter, you can get a place on these workshops for free. And that's it for us. And we can move on to our main topic of the evening, which is, can I say it's, I mean, I'm going to, let you Georgina talk more at length but am I right to say it's uh, women in sh in horror films yeah for sure I think um I mean that feels like a such a huge topic in itself but I think the films that I chose maybe more kind of like the the monstrous the monstrous woman as a central character and especially horror films directed by women so you picked in particular you wanted to discuss the films Prevenge and Raw, what made you pick those two? I think those two were films that really, really stuck with me and instantly came into my head for kind of the, the kind of different, the spectrum of types of horror films that I enjoy. I mean, they're on a similar spectrum. Um, they're both kind of independent and small budget and both directed by women, but also um, very female focused in their themes but also the protagonist and especially kind of the way the protagonist is um performs and is in the story is just really interesting and quite individual so I thought those two were interesting to talk about so were there any specific points that you wanted to bring up about them in the way that these films in particular portray their female characters these two I think I was thinking about them a lot and they're both so kind of taboo. Both of the things that they talk about those films are, are very taboo. So with Raw, everyone was making a very big fuss about Raw because it was about cannibalism, <laughs> which is a big taboo. Um, but also um, it was kind of about coming of age and sexuality and kind of a, a girl turning monstrous, which I always is kind of a, a nice... Um, stereotype of horror that I enjoy um, but Prevenge as well it, that was so individual in that it is about like a mother and I find kind of films that talk about women in a complex way whether they're pregnant or are mothers really interesting and also kind of raise ideas about taboo because you know women are often seen on screen as having to be very naturally motherly and Revenge is kind of a rejection of that in, in a way, in that, like, uh, she is incredibly monstrous and a serial killer. Um, and her baby, she imagines her baby is telling her what to do, but in fact it's, it's kind of herself. 
and it's she's carrying this baby around she's incredibly pregnant while she's committing a lot of murders which i think is really interesting and i i really like raw in its kind of it's very french <laughs> but also revenge is very very british so i kind of i like the the combination the way they interact really and do you have you said you had a predilection for horror films generally speaking am mm, i right yeah yeah i mean i love also i i never used to like horror films and then i don't know what happened but something clicked and i was just like oh of course this is my genre you can kind of explore so many avenues through horror and like although maybe my very very favorite horrors aren't female focused um the most interesting horrors to me of recent times are are horrors like raw and revenge where they have uh, female characters at the focus and you can explore so much and go in so many different areas and as like a female identifying viewer I find that really exciting and I kind of do enjoy the gore and kind of the psychological aspect and just the the exploration of stories in kind of an artistic way that these type of films do through horror which I find kind of they're very I find it an indulgence horror it's kind of very fun to watch but also can give you so much yeah so they're both made by women Mm, yeah with, I can't think of um, of similar films that would be have been made by men treating no. the women as as main subjects in quite that manner. There is a lot of horror films directed by men about women that I do love, but I think specifically these two about one being a teenage girl and one being like a pregnant woman. I feel like it's so specific, and I think although I. I've been a teenager girl, I've not been a pregnant woman, but I've, <laughs> I feel like um, they both really uh, seem quite personal. And and yeah, I agree. I don't think if you if you hadn't had that experience, I don't think they could have made that film, maybe. So, Corey, you've not... Have you seen either of the, the films? No, I did watch both of them. And they, they were better than I thought they were going to be. I wasn't expecting much from the synopsis. I have to say, I was just like, oh... <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I did like it. I think I did like um, not Raw. I mean, Raw was okay, but I think I preferred um, the Prevenge. Is it Prevenge or Pre-Revenge? Prevenge. 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 Uh, I did like that one a lot more. And I mean, I think, I mean, for me, both of them carried, and they were able to get away with so much. I think there's this thing about white women being beyond or above suspicion and but I, I thought Prevenge had much more comedy in it and the film almost made fun of itself in some way because you yeah. almost didn't see where she was going the way she chose her victims and you didn't care so much about the victims like you weren't rooting for her to not get caught but you also weren't rooting for her victims because they were pretty annoying you're just like yeah I, I almost feel like they won't be missed <laughs> yeah there's something very tongue-in-cheek about it as well yeah yeah so it's like the, the victims were random but then it was also nobody you really cared too much about because I even when she killed that DJ. And on the one hand, you're just like, well, DJ DJ Dan isn't hurting anybody. But he was also very annoying and full of himself unnecessarily. Like even when he meets her, he starts off with this thing, oh, what I'm not looking for. It's like, why would someone be looking for that with you? You're just a DJ in a low-end bar. Like, no, like, why do you think you're this catch? And obviously it's because he thinks he's going to inherit all his mom's resources. So he knows he will be a catch soon. Um, 
<laughs> but then, you know, when she murders him, you're just like, well, okay, I feel kind of bad because he just wanted a good time, but also he's he's pretty... He, he can go too. And nothing would stop her as well either. So I like how she created this little voice for the baby that was also like a best friend voice as opposed to a baby voice. So like mothering her versus, you know, and it was her baby. So I thought she did a lot of fun things there versus, um, you know, uh, raw, which was fun, like an interesting concept, right? Like kind of a vampire. So you try, <laughs> you try to be a vegetarian so you don't get the taste for blood you know get the bloodless taste um, but yeah certainly not as fun as revenge I kind of agree in the sense that it really enjoyed about Raw was the cinematography I thought it was really beautifully put together the choice of music the still it's just everything the tableau she, she you sure creates. because it wasn't just because it's French feeling a little nostalgic and homesick there Abba. <laughs> no no I actually think it's it doesn't for me I didn't think of it as a French film at all it was very different to even the recent trend in French gory horror films felt very stylized in a way they're not. It reminded me in style, I don't know, Nicholas Wining Refn, I guess, is probably the nearest. Um, I just really like the way how it looked. It was the colors were really saturated and I just really like the soundtrack as well. But I didn't quite get where she was going with it. And it felt a little bit gratuitous. And to be fair, like it really did turn my stomach. Well, you know but, what I was curious about is like why her sister was so horrible. No one could explain that to me because she seemed to go back and forth. At first she was standoffish. And you thought, okay, she wants her own independent life. She doesn't want her little sister tagging along and trying mm -hmm. to recreate what they had at home because she's not at home, right? She's at school. So you got that at first. Then they started getting friendly and you thought, okay, you know, she's cool about her eating her finger and she wants to help her. She's still looking out for her like, okay, that's, but you see, no, she was just waiting to try to humiliate and destroy her. I'm like, but why? Was it her because her finger was eaten? Because she seemed okay with it at the time. I was a little confused. How did you, how did you reach that conclusion that she wanted to humiliate her? Because of that whole thing where she was drunk and she took her into that um, kind of morgue area and had everyone oh. around and watching her with the, um... yeah, before Yeah, like fight. a dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's it. I didn't quite get the motivations of any of the characters. It all felt like it was just building up to crescendo of, of gore and horror and trash. And it wasn't quite justified in the way that Prevenge, for example, I'm not trying to... Um, point score anything or put them against each other but in, in terms of prevention you can't, you, it's so clear what the aim of the film is really um, and I wouldn't even think of it as a horror film really I just thought of it as a as a comedy as a sort of dark comedy I guess um, in the vein of you're right um, Georgina when you say it's very it's very there's something very um, English about it because it reminded me a lot of the style of some of Ben Wheatley's work but also uh, League of Gentlemen for example yes yeah and the satire is so obvious um, whereas, again, with the Raw, it wasn't quite sure what the moral dilemma or <laughs> the ethical take of it is, or the conclusion I should draw is. Mm. Um, I don't know if either of you kind of got, okay, I, I, I can see what this film's trying to tell me. No, I didn't. And even the dad suffering, like, what, was he there trying to protect them? Because he seemed to be suffering a lot and then just cope, you know, coping with it through smoking. I didn't. I was like, wait, so <laughs> the, <laughs> the dad's not going to intervene here. He's just going to kind of let things 
let things happen and say, oh, you know, I hope they just don't get caught. Like, what? So I, I just, and, and to also let them go off without telling them about that family, I don't know if you want to call it a family curse, if you want to call it a sort of, because it seems like it's, it, the mom has it, right? So it's genetic and it's like this vampire disease, right? So why would he just let them go off unsupervised without telling them, by the way, this is why you can never, you know, get a taste for me. Why yeah, would you have see, to wait for his daughter like to get to locked up? Yeah, so you're just going to let your daughter get locked up. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they don't do life sentences in France, right? So maybe she'll just get a decade. But nevertheless, just like dad. It started at the hospital, right? Because the mom seems to, you know, from that first scene where they're at the cafe on the way to school and the mom loses it because the daughter gets a little meat in her food. And so the mom's a little extra and the dad's just kind of sitting by but you see that dynamic in couples right like one's extra and one's more laid back right then then they need someone laid back because otherwise it won't work someone has to put up with them but then as it goes on it's just like the dad seems to know everything but still isn't going to intervene and at the end you find out he knew everything all along but didn't mind putting a town at risk and students at risk just let it happen why interesting actually because i thought oh okay well talk more about those two films in context and then refer to others but I actually can't think of any other films that where you would discuss that sort of theme that explores that explore uh, women in those specific situations or that are made by women and that aren't just gratuitous or um I don't I don't I can't think the first films that come to mind are things like Rosemary's Baby for example they're not mm. at all um in that same vein right because she was a victim in Rosemary's Baby except for the women in the coven who were helping you know helping her to have Satan's baby right but she was still a victim Rosemary and that's usually how it is for in horror films right women are trying to figure out who is after them yeah I think the thing the these horror films attract me I think because because these characters are they're not you know they're not the typical victimized or traumatized woman that we're kind of very used to seeing not even in horror but just a lot of cinema um they're kind of quite scary and I don't think you'd want to be friends with them (laughs) they're kind of um and obviously I mean there's like mental health issues and bodily health issues but they they're kind of very complex especially like yeah as you're saying the sister like that she's horrible (laughs) but I I just I just love watching stuff like that because I think it it brings up more conversation than 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 other stuff you know I don't want sort of placid women in my films I want I want them to be interesting and complex and and maybe sometimes a bit violent and monstrous well that's the thing because if they're not when they have a central role it's usually as the creature as the monster or as the a mindless perpetrator of carnage like um well the exorcist i guess Mm. i mean they're very old they're all old film or the ring you know they don't have a lot of agency either they're either like a victim or the perpetrator so the the ones i mean i was trying to think as well kind of because i studied a lot about horror and so i tried to watch as many as possible especially finding horror directed by women is is really interesting you know um so the the ones that I, I mean, the Babadook is like very recent and in some ways kind of hits some of those 
kind of themes especially because she's like a mother and then you know towards the end it gets really horrific and in terms of she like embodies the monster and you know it's terrifying for the viewers and the children um the child in it um and then I was thinking I mean not directed by women but um us recently I didn't especially like that film but I found you know that character is really interesting um and then also um I mean black when I was younger I saw black swan and I really at the time I really loved black swan just because how (laughs) kind of operatic it is and it has got a lot of body horror in it um and then um repulsion um that is i mean that's an old film and that is kind of hits on some of those themes where where it's it's kind it's really creepy and quite horrific but it's just about you know one woman and her brain and you know what you know what is real and what is not real and all sorts of stuff like that so there was some that I was kind of trying to think about as well when I was thinking about talking about um women in horror but obviously there's there's a huge amount of other things as well um so like um kind of opposite to to those two I was thinking about I mean I, I really enjoyed this film The Invisible Man but I thought yes and that was really interesting yeah. but I also thought and you, and you know she is a really interesting um kind of compelling character but also she she plays into the same stereotypes as we usually see which is like quite a a victim um against a monster and like the binary of like man and woman um but yeah but these for sure i i think they they really go between that middle ground of of being victim and perpetrator and like monster um yeah yeah um, there's one film that you reminded me of as you were speaking, which I don't know if you've seen. It's by Marina. It's it's not very critically acclaimed and it should be. I feel like it's a massively um, undervalued film and it's called, uh, I know the title in French, is it, sorry. Is it Marina Devan? Is it Devan? It's Marina Devan, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah you know the one I'm talking about? Yes. Um, it's not Don't Look Back, it's is- Don't... I stood. Uh, yeah, I, I did. Um, I did my dissertation on that film actually. Yeah, so it's called in. Is it in my skin? I think in English. Uh, I'm gonna have to look it up. Don't look back. That that's it. Don't. Oh, I'm not sure. Maybe this is a different film then. Yes, oh, you're right. There is. She directed. No, very good point. She directed the film called In My Skin, but that's not the one I was thinking of, and ah, I actually haven't okay. seen In My Skin. So Don't Look Back stars Sophie Marceau and Monica Bellucci. And I found it to be the first time I watched it, the second time, not so much, but the first time I found it to be really creepy and really effective. I watched it at the cinema. Um, There was a QA and a with her. So the main character is Sophie Marceau's character, Jeanne, who's a writer. She's got quite an unremarkable life. And increasingly, things around her start to not make sense anymore. So like bits of furniture start to be where they shouldn't be. Her husband starts to look very slightly different. It's so subtle and that's what makes it so disturbing and creepy. 
And I kind of get the, crit- the criticism of it, which is it feels a bit like an anticlimax towards the end and a bit rushed. But um, when I when she did the Q&A, Marina Devan, she did say that they had quite a lot of budgeting issues, which meant that, yes, the film's production um, and post-production had to be rushed. So some things don't quite make sense and don't quite hold up. But it is remarkably effective to start with. It looks really, really cool. Mm. Um, and then you mentioned us, which you said you weren't that keen mm. on. So what did you what did you make of it? I think it was the the premise. It was really good. And then I think kind of the the premise just and you know the the backstory kind of just unravelled a bit and didn't really make sense um, towards the end. And I think there's a lot of plot holes, um, but. But I mean, Lupita Nyong'o's character is is great in it, and I think you know that that for me was really creepy. And mm-hmm. you know, talking about her, you know, her experience going as a little child, and then you know, whatever happened, maybe getting obviously getting swapped or being swapped, and they these two personalities and kind of the the trauma of the one underneath and the kind of facade of the one on top but who actually knows the real the real situation that everyone is in um I found that really engaging but I think it was the the story around it just kind of unraveled a bit and I think like you like you were saying I think the body horror aspect which that I mean body doubles kind of body horror but I think it just really plays into a lot of I mean maybe it's just me but a lot of like women's fear about their body and the changes that they go through and kind of we're constantly told that like our bodies like we're not in control of them whether that be kind of through um political messaging or kind of the media you know that they're they need to be in control and we constantly have this fear that they're going to be out of control in some way or have a fear that you know we don't have control over our body um in the future whether politically we're not allowed to um and i just think those type of things really play into like my fears and I think that's why I enjoy them you know obviously people don't like some people really hate horrors because they don't want to see something that they don't like but I find that really interesting to kind of view something that makes me uncomfortable and mm-hmm. and really kind of taps into something that is actually quite like deep down and, and quite scary. I think there's a, really a dearth of films about things like about the the female body and the changes it goes it goes through um anything from menopause pregnancy um even injuries um there's just not many of them and mm. so we've not really seen that type of subject tackled um in any interesting way the other films I was talking about French um the the recent craze I guess it's not that recent anymore but sort of in the like mid noughties and um around between 2000 2010 I guess in that decade there was a, quite a lot of um, really gory French films being made um, very few of them were particularly good but they, they were worth discussing and worth what invariably they felt very gratuitous so so I actually even though I'm not actually a huge fan of that that um like I called it cinema du corp is it cinema du corp I can't pronounce it very well. The cinema, like cinema of the flesh, um, ah, okay, yeah, which is like that that kind of genre of film, like um, 
oh, it's like ex- kind of exploitation in a way, but it's super, you know, hyper gory. I, I did my dissertation on that, which is where Marina Devan's work is comes in because she did an that the film which is in my skin is incredibly incredibly gory and dark mm-hmm. um and yeah i agree even though there are a lot of um kind of women focused films in those genre i think they're they're all yeah i i agree i find there is like a level to um gore that is i don't know i, I i've still not figured it out but in you know sometimes it's enjoyable and then sometimes it goes into this is gratuitous and I don't know how yeah. how I don't know what the line is but but yeah I, I agree those films really like go into the oh I think you're just doing this for the for the sake of it rather than it being kind of artistic um it kind of like yeah. anything that is using violence or especially against women or like really gratuitous violence just for the sake of it, I find just not enjoyable. Well, that was an an accusation that was levelled a lot at uh, Tarantino. Yes, which I agree with. (laughs) You agree with that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I I mostly agree with that. I think maybe the, his newer films for sure. So, so I totally, I, I, I really enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I really enjoyed the kind of like malaise of it. And then it was just that ending. I just find found it too much. And, you know, I I really enjoy horror films and I've seen Martyrs, which is really gory and found that not too bad. But that type of horror really gets to me, I think. And it's well, I'd be curious to see what you think of the the hateful eight, which I don't think Sakura and I agree on. <laughs> no, we don't agree on that. Oh, I really like that We've film. not discussed it yet. Yeah, but we're going to because I really like it. Um, and I think, you know, she was she was a gangster because I think that's what the part Abla doesn't like is the and I can't remember something LaRue. I can't remember her name now. But it's like she's a she's a bandit. She's in a gang. I don't know why they would treat her with kid gloves, a ranger, no less. Um, so even though I think they would have in those times, but in Quentin Tarantino land, no, she gets treated as brutally as any other serial killer. So Apple and I, yes, we disagree on that point. <laughs> oh, I'd be interested to hear that. No, yeah, I I mean, I'm on the side of it being too violent against women. I think it's just because you get so used to, like, the repetition of violence against women and it's just so in your face that it just is exhausting and doesn't seem to have a point you know I like the horror films where the violence is dotted throughout and seems to have a point or has like a greater greater thematic use which is I think to me raw is kind of like that like it is really gory but it's it's kind of used in a different way it's not just pointedly harming people for like a it's kind of very, it seems like he really enjoys it, which is, I think, yeah. what I dislike. He really enjoys violence against women, which is, I'm just, I can't get along with. <laughs> that's something I feel as well. There's something very voyeuristic about it. And that's, I used to feel that before all the revelations about malpractice on set and stuff came about. Um, it, despite me liking quite a few of his films, I really, really like Kill Bill, for example, which I know all the Tarantino fans hate. And it's I, the... I've exactly, I'm exactly the same. I really, I no. absolutely loved it, and like <laughs> that. Yeah, I love Kill Bill. I think it's great, even though yeah, loads of people are like, oh, it's not very good. 
but I like that character is amazing. That's I think mm. why I like it. But uh, but yeah, I was <laughs> I was interested. Well, see, that's in interesting because I like Kill Bill, but I know the criticism around it had more to do with race than gender because especially the scene where she went to where did she go to kill Lucy Liu's character? Oh. I don't remember the city now. I don't remember the city, but that was their saying. Like you have this white woman there killing all these people of co- you know quote unquote people of color, even though they could have named their nationality. But that's never done, mm-hmm. and it's like a you know some sort of colonizer fantasy but i like you know i like quentin tarantino films for the most part not all of them but i think they're all pretty violent i mean i think you know i, I think of reservoir dogs that's the first film. i couldn't even finish it it was too much uh but i think yeah all of his films are pretty gory and violent and they're 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 very excessive but it feels very in the way uh, california you know southern california is excessive yeah. Um, even in terms of language, right? We all know that's why Spike Lee famously doesn't watch his films and doesn't, um, you know, he and Samuel L. Jackson fell out because he feels like he uses the N-word too much and it's too gratuitous. But it's like, that is also how Californians are. <laughs> no, everyone be clear about oh, that. Oh, who, who felt that? Samuel L. Jackson didn't no, agree no, with it. No, um, no, Spike Lee. Right? Because um, Samuel L. Jackson was in oh. Spike Lee's films earlier, but Spike Lee is famously not... I don't think he even watches Quentin Tarantino's films, but he knows he uses, it, he uses the N-word, and he's just like, why is that necessary in the film? Now, Quentin Tarantino, which, which you know, just because something's authentic doesn't mean you have to show it. So, yeah, just because people in the Valley speak that way doesn't mean your characters have to speak that way for authenticity's sake, because they can be authentic without using it but nevertheless um yeah that's you know spike lee's major criticism like he's his and you know in his words it's like you seem to be in love with the word it's not like you're using it for a particular purpose um so that's yeah. why he doesn't but you know like you know but samuel L. jackson clearly is fine with it because he acts in the film and has made part of his career <laughs> right being in quentin tarantino films exactly um and i like samuel L. jackson he was a black panther fyi for the people who don't know so Really? Yes, he was in Mississippi, no less, where it's dangerous to be anything uh, before he became an actor. I was going to ask, that was before he started his acting career. Well, yeah, I mean, that that was in the 60s and 70s. So, yeah, he's been around for ages. I didn't realize how old he was. Yes. First off, he is very old, Samuel Jackson. He's very (laughs) old. But yeah, he's been in films forever. He used to, I think, like, I remember I saw one film he was in in the 80s and he was built like a Sammy Jackson. So he, yeah, he's been in Hollywood forever. I think, I, yeah, I recently watched uh, Coming to America and he's in it. He's you in it really. For the first time, you mean recently is in again. No, I mean for the first time. Oh, yeah. Oh, for the first oh, time. Oh, no. I, I've never watched it. <laughs> Chris, Chris keeps going on about it. He loves it, and I've but I'm never older than both it. of you, so maybe I can give a pass. That clearly, it must be a generational thing. But yeah, those. What do you mean, general? We're the same age. We are. We are not the same. I don't know why you keep saying that. We're not the same age. There's uh, like two years between us. Generational thing. I'm like shocked. Um, so yeah, but, but I guess Georgina, you can be forgiven because that did come out probably around the time you were born. Yeah, so we'll, we'll give you a pass on that. Is it, so did you watch it because the second one's coming out? No, but I heard about that. I think I, I mean, I it was definitely at some point last year in lockdown. I was like, right, this is a film that I need to watch. Everyone always talks about coming to America, and it it really didn't disappoint. But yeah, Samuel L. Jackson isn't that really young. He, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that film came out, was it 30 years ago? Good God, it must have come out about 30 years ago. Well, that, no, that sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, right? Because it must have been 91, Because I keep right? thinking, you know, like, I think people of that generation, for us, 30 years ago always means the 70s, because we keep <laughs> thinking it's 2000. Um <laughs> It came out in 1988. Oh, 88. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yes. No. Yeah. Coming to America with, I mean, gosh, it just, I don't understand why Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy never made any more films after that because everything about that film is hilarious. Although, you know, I did have a friend years ago who did not see the humor and he was from the Congo and he was just like, Black Americans (laughs) always make fun of Africans. I was like, well, not the way you're thinking about it. I mean, you're making fun, but I don't think it's a vicious making fun. It's a fun making fun. Uh, but he was like, no, it's not funny. It's like, oh, okay, it's still funny to me. I, I can't relate, but I hear him. So I, I would never invite him to see it. But yeah, no, I, I really, ah, everything about that film is hilarious. I mean, what's not to like? Gosh, they're just, they're too much. Everyone in there is too much. Well, that's the thing. But yeah, I could see why someone would find it insulting. No, he does. But he he found that to be a lot of black American humor. The jokes about Africans. He didn't he didn't like it. Yeah, you see, you wouldn't get that that here as much just because there's just not that much of a gap between first generation African immigrants and current like black Britain. No, they're talking about their parents where we're talking yeah, about exactly. so you in the, in the yeah. right in the black Americans we're talking about what exists in our imagination right or yeah. we think about the person who we may know in the neighborhood you know what I'm you know in thinking about New Yorkers right New Yorkers would know Africans from maybe they were in their neighborhood or something like that but yeah not they're not related to you so everything is based on a stereotype and a joke but it's also i think which is what he didn't agree with but my argument is that it's like a recognition that our ancestors were from africa right before they were sold and shipped off right so it's yeah in a way making fun of yourself but also poking fun at someone different but i don't think it's meant to be so that's just it i mean i think the difference is it's, it's not blackface because it's not dehumanizing no, well, that's, it. that's it that's the impression i got was that it's very much laughing at um i mean in eddie murphy's kind of mind i guess it's laughing at us and our origins and who we are and where we come from and so on it doesn't feel like he's put a distance between him as a black american and africans generally well i mean that's it's a tricky one though because in the 80s right there weren't you know in the 80s first there weren't that many africans in the america right so even that whole concept was realistic in a sense is that if you were to ever meet an african that is how you would meet them as a student right because he so he poses as being a university student but that's also like how if you were to meet an african in the 80s that is how you would meet them as a student they are not like london where they're half of the black people here just that that doesn't exist right so you're still talking about a very small group of people and uh kind of the opulence of because it was about his how they presented zamunda right so it's like this arranged marriage right versus in the u.s marriage is about love so like contrasting it between being a traditional versus modern and that's how that's how it was set up right like even i have this friend here in london you know she's born here her parents are nigerian and what stood out to her was she said the disrespect that the wife showed the husband when they were arguing so there's a scene 
and when they come to the U.S. because he's not answering his calls. And, of course, his best friend has told on him because he's tired of living, like, in his words, a peasant, right? Like, he doesn't want to live in Queens on a service worker's salary. He's had enough. So he uh, tries to get some money just so he can live the lifestyle he thought he was going to live when he agreed to accompany him on his trip. So the dad's fed up because he's like, what's going on? You're just supposed to be going to have a good time and come back home. And now you're doing, you know, on another page. So uh, the the wife, she tells the husband basically, like, you need to stay out of it. And, yeah, she was like, yeah, you, that was disrespectful. She should never resist. Like, wait, what? Mm. But, of course, like, for us, it was a whole recognition that, oh, no, it is better to marry for love. You know, you have to see it's not as romantic comedy. So, like, no, the whole idea is, like, yes, it is better to marry for love than an arranged marriage. Because it is it was trying to contrast that old and new world thing but they did that a lot in the 80s like we had comedies where there was this idea where you had uh, like perfect strangers I don't know if you're familiar with that or even in full house they had this whole contrast between uh, the European family versus the American family and they were just trying to do that same sort of toying with it but nothing yeah. in a real way right so nothing was heavy duty in the, <laughs> I mean the idea <laughs> right I mean it was all it, it was all a bit it was all a bit fun because they didn't deal with colonialism, for God's sake. I mean, it was. <laughs> or even they didn't deal with the crack epidemic, right? So it was all supposed to be a comedy. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, I think we need to. But, you know, I, I get that because that's the thing. I'm, look, I'm not looking through, through it as an African looking at how Africans are depicted in American mm. film. And I could imagine I would have a different perspective, obviously. Well, it's one to watch. Definitely. That'll be on my uh my weekend Definitely list. I mean, we've been talking watch, about watching it for ages and just never got around to it. Well, you know, we could talk about it when the second one comes out. So it's, exactly. of course, on yeah, demand. There we go. We'll do that. In two months. And yes, in two I months. don't know how we got to... Well, that was all through the prism of talking about Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> that we went on a massive <laughs> I tangent. Know, that was <laughs> Yeah, you should definitely edit that out. That was that was definitely definitely very difficult. well. I think it was very but, interesting. Uh, yeah, though. We, we started talking from Quentin Tarantino. That's that's how we started that's talking it. about Quentin and Tarantino, body horror so our and torture views on that. Yeah, 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 and that's the thing. I think his films are very. That's why, like I said, I couldn't finish Reservoir Dogs because it is there's so much torture in that film. And he there's something about the way he makes it. I mean, the both of these films, Raw and Revenge, I there was nothing squeamish. Even with the, in Raw, mm. the, you know, the final scene where you, well, I guess it wasn't the final scene, but the, you know, the ultimate where his leg is gone. I wasn't disgusted. Oh, I really? was. I was. No, the, I the scene, yeah, where she eats the finger. I couldn't no, watch it. Okay, no, okay, no, the finger, no, the finger, I did turn it where I said, no, I wasn't ready. That's what I just said. I said, I wasn't ready for that. I, I didn't think, I didn't think it was going to go there, but it wasn't, I think, I guess because it wasn't the torture. And that's what Tarantino does. It wasn't torture, at least. Where yeah. it's, it's so they didn't watch him. But I guess she murdered him before she ate the leg. But, but yeah. Exactly. So I think yeah. that's the difference between torture and the sort of just gore. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, this is why I literally I found it very, very uncomfortable to the point where I just did wanted to stop watching uh, for, uh, when I watch something like Martyrs uh, or even the Saw franchise I it's really uncomfortable oh you know me, can but... we talk about too something that stood out for me in uh, Prevenge was the class dynamic because both of the women she murdered are, well we don't know if she she murdered because she was just kind of on the floor but the ambulance came in time maybe they saved her uh the class dynamic because the you know first she kills the woman who interviews her 
who comes up mm-hmm. with, you know, it's like, where's the sisterhood there? Because both of those women were in a position to help her and they just chose not to because they didn't want to. So one makes up some absurd reason why she can't hire her. Because, you know, it was just, she was making up something instead of just telling yes. her, I'll call you back, like you say to everybody at an interview. Like, why would she tell them that you're not going to give them a job there? So she was just a jerk all the way around. And then the other woman who sees a pregnant woman fundraising for a charity, and she could have just signed up for five pounds a month. And instead, she just is like, no, and just horrible and then after she is injured instead of locking herself in the bathroom she's gonna like fight her it's like what do you do you just say like what are you doing like i have a knife what are you doing so i don't know if she was trying to make a statement there about the leisure class here because she even has this whole dialogue with her like so what's the point of doing this stuff that you do anyway like what why do you even do this these sports or these because it was just like the woman who interviewed her right she did these extreme sports the skydiving yeah. why uh, yes. and so kind of making fun of her um, a bit so she didn't ask the interviewer because she killed her before she could ask it though you know the woman who did she's like oh i don't know i guess it makes you feel strong it's like that's the problem you feel stronger than you are you think you can fight somebody with a knife georgina would you think? i do <laughs> no i do i i do think um like there is something like that I think that's why it I said it feels very British I do think there's there's some type of class thing that she's tapping into with that film like um if you've seen Sightseers which is the the Ben Wheatley one which she stars in and she actually wrote um that 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 is the same you know um and I think that's why it feels very British is because it kind of does slightly hint at all these class dynamics all these weird nuances and kind of her character in both of them actually like feeling feeling it not I wouldn't say insecure is the right word just like asserting herself against another type of woman who is not the same as her um probably in terms of all this takes us to uh just over an hour of uh recording so if uh, do either of you or both of you have any conclusive words? Mm, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel I like thought, I, I don't have really to have some. Huh? So, yeah. Oh, I was talking to Georgina. Oh. I feel like she does have to have some conclusive words. You selected uh, the... So. Well, I just think... Um, so, I just... I think horror can be a real... Like you said, cathartic, like I find it really cathartic and it can be kind of a really um, imaginative genre for women to work in, not only as directors, but as main characters in that so many kind of things can be explored, whether like about coming of age or, or having a baby or like our body or about relationships. I think it can be the place where you can really explore those issues in a really interesting entertaining um way and i just wish there was more of it like uh, i mean these are very kind of like you said at the start they are about privileged white women in a way um i wish there was kind of more diversity in these type of films or more women making horror films um especially and i just think it it's exciting to kind of when anything like this comes out I think it's really exciting to watch and I would just really hope that 
more films, more horror films are made by women, really, about women specifically. Um, I know I'm really excited for Candyman, which is coming out um, this year, which is directed by a woman, but I don't think it's very female focused. Ah. Well, so is it going to be the same as the, is it a remake? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be a remake. Oh, I hadn't heard but about the, that. But the same, the the main actor will be starring <gasps> in it, won't he? Will he? <gasps> yes. Yeah, that's why it came up. Do you remember we talked no, about it? No, I don't it, remember this conversation um, at all. All those months ago, yeah. And then I went back and saw the original. We talked about, okay. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. No, that was a scary one. I think I was, I think I had to use the bathroom with the door open probably for a week after I saw that movie. Because I kept picturing, you know, that was one of the scenes where they were in the bathroom and um, you said it three times. And then people were going around doing it. So that was a very scary time. Oh, yeah. Do you know a funny story about Candyman? Do you know the band, um, <laughs> the band Fine Young Cannibals? I've heard of, oh. I've heard of them. Right, I thought the lead singer of that was the actor from Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, moonlighting. You have to be seventy now. What are you even saying? Wait, they're no, they're the same. Hang on, because <laughs> that's an old band. <laughs> They're probably no, but I think he is. He will be in the film. I'm not sure whether he's reprising his original role, but he is in the film. Look, there you go. Fine young cannibals. He does look uh, no, not not that much. But in my in my youthful mind, when I was very young and watched Candyman, I thought it was the same. He bloke. looks okay. I've looked up fine young cannibals. Are you serious? He's not even black. What is going on, Abla? He's not black. <laughs> is he Rolling Griff? Oh, is he is he black? He doesn't look. Black. He's mixed race. <sighs> I think we, we agreed a while back that humans all... I, I have a real problem telling people apart. He's so 60. Um, I'll focus on, like, I think they have the same eyes or something, and that's it. In my mind, they're they the same person. They do have the same eyes, that's true. Yeah, I didn't realise that that was coming. Oh, my gosh. No, I, I would love to see Candyman. Okay, well, you'll have to come back, Georgina, and we can talk about um, Candyman. And Maybe. Georgina, but Georgina, <laughs> you've seen the original one. I haven't. Ooh. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. I've just heard. I've just heard loads about it, and being into horror, I've read loads about it. But I've still yet to see it. But this oh, one, so I'm gonna see it. But the new one really sounds really interesting, and it's produced by Jordan. Oh Peele. yes, that's oh, it. That's it. No, it definitely did come oh my gosh. up. We talked about it's it. All coming together. Okay, yeah, I, I, my memory's <laughs> not great, but the but Candyman it had a few of them. So I remember there being one sequel, but there may have been two. I don't remember now exactly. Well, I'll do a side-by-side. Side. The actor who um, portrayed Candyman is Anthony Todd, and he is 66 yes. Abla. It looks nothing nothing like uh, nothing like that. Well, you see, so, I can't explain what it is, yes. but there was something about him that brought the other guy <laughs> to mind. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, they're not okay. the same color. If you say so. But I'm glad he's still alive, though. That's awesome. Yeah. I like it when actors have a long life. Good for them. <laughs> well, he'll be back in this film. Exciting. Great. Well, that's a, that's a positive note to end it on. Something to look forward to when maybe the cinemas reopen. Who knows? And they will. They will. I'm, I'm really feeling optimistic about April-ish. Too. Maybe I'll have a job back by then. Who knows? <laughs> well, thank you very much, everyone. That's it for us from this week. Um, as pointed out in the introduction, you can follow us not on LinkedIn, but on Twitter at MyDialorama. And you can also leave us comments on our website or contact us via the website or via the uh, podcast platform. And thank you very much, Georgina. No, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening.